Duchess podcast. That's right. We're all official up in here. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you our spoiler policy. I'm sorry. I'm the Duchess. Liz, I know. <laughs> it's all right. You can call it's yourself. It's not going to fly. You can I call keep yourself trying. The I keep trying, guys. You know, I mean, if that, hey, you know, you be you. Okay. Never you mind. Be- it's okay. No. From the top. From the top. Are we ready? <laughs> Start over. Okay. Five, four, Welcome, <laughs> just so you know, to the Duke and Duchess podcast. I don't edit, so this is all staying in. <laughs> yeah, don't tell me that. <laughs> I'm Liz. And I'm Chad. But you can call me the Duchess. You can. If you want. You absolutely can. <laughs> That's like 20% of the reason I wanted to do this. <laughs> and I and I stole that from you. <laughs> Right out of the gates. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so yes, we are we are currently covering the name of the wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Um, we are uh, enforcing a strict no spoiler policy, as uh, Chad here has not read the, the entire series. No, not past chapter twenty nine. And it's yeah. so much more fun that he doesn't know what's happening. Yes, I'm, I'm really enjoying holding that over his head. And I try and, to uh, stay very clear of things in social media and on the internet and spoilers about that so i ask that people respect that and for the most part i think they will so we are currently we have covered up to chapter 16 and this um this podcast we're talking about chapters 17 through 29 and the next big chunk our first kind of big chunk 12 12 chapters at one time right but i have to have to have to give my put my hat off to you and mess up my cliches while I do it. Um, you, you've done a good job once again of really picking really good places to to begin and end. It was a nice self-contained little arc, you know. Right. Yeah. I couldn't. I I knew what was coming, and I I couldn't leave you in the middle of that really depressing character arc. Like yeah. you had you had to get through that. Uh, yeah. This was a dark section of chapters. Definitely a dark section of chapters for sure. So. Right. So. Um, and next week, we're going to go ahead and do, uh, I believe... 30 through 43? 30 through 43. Good, good. So, um, and that's going to be... I'm, I'm really excited for your reactions to what's coming next in the story. Yeah, and that's another um, big chunk. And this time, we're say last time, we ended up with two weeks for the podcast because I had to go away for work. And this time, we're going to end up with two weeks because we're going on vacation. So... So the rest of you slackers need to keep up. You're going to have to read 13 chapters. I don't know what to tell you. Right. And and, and again, with um, the way that Patrick Rothfuss has divided these chapters, and some of them are one-pagers. So it's really more a matter of kind of look at how many pages that you can read. So let's jump in to chapter 17. Um, I think we've picked up um, in the present and yeah. mm-hmm. we, um, Quoth has just um, told a very harrowing story of his childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously one that even Bast has never heard before. Yeah, and he's quite sad, Quoth. Yes, and, and, and we kind of get to see their reactions to it. Um, and um, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. This chapter was what was kind of the, the emotional sucker punch, mm-hmm. you know, and in particularly the part where Quoth. He he brushes them off, you know. Bast yeah, is yeah. is just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, filled with compassion and empathy. He's mm-hmm. he has tears in his eyes for his friend, and um, um, Quoth sort of reacts pretty harshly to him. He does, yeah. and and tells him to stop blubbering. And it was mm-hmm. a long time ago. And one phrase that sticks out is, oh, "Time is the great healer," and so on and so on. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and then he goes, "Just pull yourself together." And he goes out back to get some wood. And once he gets back. He's completely alone. He breaks down and in silent sobs. And it's it's just for me, that was just um 
the most heartbreaking part that that you can still you can tell there's still a part of him that hasn't healed. He's still carrying this. He's not. This is not a story where he's gone on to to process things and and come to a healthy emotional place about what happened to him. No, I don't. I mean, I think we're beginning to see in these chapters that he's not a healthy emotion, emotionally healthy person in a lot of ways. Right. You know, um, which is, you know, a good part of what makes him interesting. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, And you also I mean, with this story, certainly you have the sense of jumping in in the middle of someone's life. Yeah. And not seeing where they're going to go. But obviously, this is a person who has put up a lot of walls and mm. um, to keep himself safe and that even his closest friends don't know this huge thing that happened in his life, yeah, yeah. you mm. know, and you wonder who, who he's told if anyone ever, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. what happened to him. Well, that's a short little chapter. And then we, we jump back into um, the immediate aftermath of what happened to Quoth as a child um, after his parents were killed by the Chandrian. And um, I just, this part again was very, difficult to read emotionally for me i don't know about mm-hmm. you are we talking um, about when he's in the woods yes kind of, yeah yes. yeah and he's walking around in and in really kind of a stupor you right know, and just trying to he's just trying to be i mean he's really a kind of subsistence mm-hmm. level just you know basics you know where do i find water how do i find shelter mm-hmm. you know kind of thing um and then he gets once once he gets kind of the basic you know living requirements settled uh, then he starts to pick up his father's lute and play, mm-hmm. and that part I thought was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously that holds some interest to me um, because I, you know, I'm a big fan of music. And then, you know, when he talks about the way he's able to play, I mean this this was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole section, if not my favorite part of the whole section. Right. You know, when it talks about how he starts to play and he gets beyond playing everything he knows, everything he's ever heard, and now he's playing the sound of the leaves settling on the water, mm-hmm. you know. Then he's starting to play, you know, riding in the wagon with Ben and he's really kind of getting into these, you know, really overwhelmingly amazing, you know, places with the music. And then the string breaks. Right. You know, and I'm like you know, and then he just he just keeps going on. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, because he's not going to run down to Guitar Center and pick up some lute strings, right? So you know, so um, you know, he's like, then he just learned to play with seven strings, and then mm-hmm. another string broke. You know, and I was that to me was pretty impressive. You know, and all the while, this is a twelve year old child, right? You know, and um, I mean, admittedly, this is a book you can write a book about a character who can do who can do anything, but but it feels so real. It does. It, it was, feels yeah. like a real person. It does. It was very impressive to me. And, um, and I keep, and I started thinking, and I've been thinking all through all these chapters that we read, he's going to take that loot and he's going to go conquer the world. He's going to, mm-hmm. you know, from end to end raking in the money. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of fantasy stories, that's probably what would happen. Right. You know? Yes. And that's not what happens. That is know? not what happens. And yeah. really, uh, you kind of see it's the last time you're reminded for a while that this this is a, a prodigy that we're talking yeah, about yeah. here. An incredibly gifted and brilliant individual. Yeah. You know, and but now in the, the upcoming chapters we see and we deal with how broken he's become. Yeah. And um, I just think Patrick Rothfuss does an incredibly um, skilled, a good job at uh, describing what happens when someone suffers a trauma like that. Yeah, he does a great job. Um, And and his whole, there's a section where he talks about um, the four doors, and Mm -hmm. the first door is sleep, and the second door is forgetting, and the third door is madness, and the fourth door is death. And, you know, um, one thing that stuck out to me in this section was, is on page 120 and 123, both times he mentions time being a healer. Yeah. So when he is trying to push Bast away, he says time is the healer and yada yeah. yada. Mm-hmm. But a few pages later, when he's back into his story, he says, you know, they say time is a healer, but that's not true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you're seeing um, you're seeing a little bit behind the wall there. You're seeing yeah. the pain mm-hmm. that that's still there after all the years. And, you know, the way that he describes close mental state, you know, like you said, in a lot of fantasy stories, you'd hear the character being described as sad or broken or, but they'd go on and their arc would progress and it would be, you know, a lot of these plot driven stories, you can really see what would happen. 
But um, Patrick Rothwell's really spent some time here getting into what happens to your mental state when you go through like something like that, you know, and, um, you know, he talks about, um, what, what stuck out to me. And, and I, I ended up, as you know, spending about 45 minutes, uh, balls deep in the DSM four, like (laughs) diagnosing this fictional character. (laughs) Is it this or is it this? But yeah, yeah, like, and, uh, Chad came in from work and I'm like, I don't know if he has depersonalization disorder or a dissociative fugue, but I'm, I'm close to figuring it out. (laughs) And, and he was like, honey, it's, he's not a real person. I, (laughs) (laughs) if yeah. But, you know, you know, but he feels so real that I I wanted to do that. You know, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of research about when when you what happens to your sensory cortex Mm -hmm. when you experience a trauma and it goes it goes wonky. Um, Your nerve cells that are responsible for emotional feeling, um, their um, functioning decreases and the nerve cells that are responsible for emotional regulation increases. So it you end up with this feeling of being out of your body. You end up with this um, depersonalization experience that that we see in this character, and it continues throughout the the next several chapters, and he talks about his part of his mind going to sleep, and the part that um, is dealing with those feelings kind of shuts down. You could almost Um, call it a dissociative fugue. Dissociative. (laughs) Well, dissociative fugue is interesting (laughs) because that is where... um, some characterized by someone making a sudden move after uh, Mm -hmm. a trauma they just pick up and they leave yeah and they may not may or may not remember the trauma but they'll just get up and and go to a different city which is exactly what this character does yeah i mean you know not that he had much of a choice but that is what but that is what he did however but when you think about it when you and you logically okay so here's a, a a boy who is um you know scrambling for survival mm-hmm. and he just left the caravan that he was yeah raised in well and that was his first well no that really wasn't his, he went to sleep and then right everything caught on fire but but, but, at, but yeah. i mean and his parents wagon caught on fire but at no point does he ever think to go back no, that's true yeah. and see what he can find i mean no, uh-uh. there were were wagons there were probably loot strings i mean but it never even occurs to him to go back yeah, yeah, he's just right. shut out that experience so okay i'm sorry psychology you're, you're, nerd ran over you're you're, you're allowed to ramble <laughs> okay. it's okay it's all right um so either way it's clear like this is a character whose mind is fractured and um what i found interesting because when we when we look at what he's learned about sympathy and the magical system like the key to that is fracturing your mind mm. so he mm. spent all this time doing that and now he is able to very neatly sort of put away an entire part of himself that's true yeah and we've talked a lot about um, the th- one of the themes of this book being identity mm-hmm. and how we, you know, and in this po- point, I think this character has like a fractured identity, Yeah, you know, and he's, he's becoming someone else who is able to survive. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where we go for quite a long chunk mm-hmm. of this, of all these 12 chapters. And so after that, he, fi- he starts to wander in towards, um, towards civilization, tries to find a road, and then he eventually gets picked up uh, in the wagon by Seth and Jake, who take him to Tarbine, Tarbion. We're going to have to talk about that. Because. Tarbion. Tarbion? Yes. You have it confirmed? I, it's confirmed. Sweet. I, I saw a YouTube video. Because <laughs> I've been calling it Tarbion this whole time. And no, like it's a not Tarbion. <laughs> Tar- Tarbion. Tarbion. Okay. Tarbian. Like Caribbean, but. Le- yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, good. Well, I'm glad we got that straight. <laughs> Right after I made an ass of myself and passed it wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he gets um, he gets picked up by uh, Seth and Jake uh, arrives in Tarbian. And Tarbian. 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 So there's a couple different ways you could say that. Tarbian. Okay. He ends up getting jumped in the city and the loot gets destroyed. Oh. He gets robbed. So sad. And then the sad part to me, the super sad part, is when he wakes up out of his, you know, concussion, curb-stomped head, you know, coma, he runs out to the square Mm -hmm. to try to find them, and they're gone. Mm -hmm. That whole thing with Seth and Jake about how they could tell that this was a troubled child, Mm -hmm. and they were being very nice to him and trying to find a way to, to bring him in. And I think any normal person in a desperate situation like 
he's in would most likely take them up on that. But that's not where he is. He's not able to do that. And it, it just goes to show what where his where his mind is, where his cognitive functioning is. Yeah. You know, because an outsider would say, Okay, go with them. You can get the loot string another day. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he is just obviously not able to function. No, not at all. You know. Yeah. And the little bit of discomfort of trying, uh, you know, the the discomfort of them trying to approach him and and console him and in, mm-hmm. in some way is something he's just not prepared for and he's so much more afraid of that right. than he is of the, the real reality of being in this, you know, city alone and right. you know and and without food or income or anything like that. So that to me was was a, a very sad part mm-hmm. um, I found that more sad than uh, than quotes breaking down at the, at the fire with the firewood but but it it doesn't get any better no it, and it, in <laughs> fact apart from me that was really really sad I'm gonna turn to it is um, around page 142 you should probably say what version of the book you have because other people might have different versions of the book and the page numbers might may not line up. I have a paper version of this book. <laughs> I don't know what does that even mean. I don't know. It's the pa- it's the paperback. Uh, what you know? Wh- well, whatever. We'll figure it out. So, like, we'll put it on the show notes. I don't know what that means. I if just there's hear a lot of you out that. there, all of you who are listening to us, <laughs> and it's driving you crazy. I will start using chapters. Um, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're not. You're not. Um, but but the part where we we meet we meet Trappist. Yeah. And yeah. Um, mm. I love that character. Oh, I know. I yeah. just love him. And but the part at the end where um, he's talking about um, Trappist and how he's the only one that loves loves these children. The lost children. Yeah. Yes. And he says uh, sometimes it seemed that Trappist alone was trying to care for all the hopeless creatures in our care in our corner. Of Tarbion. In return, we loved him with a silent ferocity that only animals can match. If anyone had ever raised a hand to Trappist, a hundred mm. howling children would have torn them to bloody scraps in the middle of the street. And just like, yeah, you know, it's for me. It um, it just reminded me that there are there are places, there are parts of the world, there are children who who do live like this. Yeah, still still today. You know, unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah, and and who is out there taking care of them? And hopefully they have a Trappist, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of them don't. Um, the part, one of the parts that I, uh, I shouldn't say like, but one of the things I picked up on when reading that chapter was they start to talk about um, the Tealand, Talon. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, right. A little right after that, we start hearing about yeah, um, even a little bit. Well, Telu. he talks about um, when he's walking into there right before he meets Trappist and he's like, well, what am right. I going into? You know, he starts to talk about he had heard tales about this and tales about that. And that's kind of the first hint that we get. Um, I'm not sure it's the first hint we get that there's the Talons are a priesthood, um, you know, who worship Talu. But it's definitely the first indication we get that, it, you know, all may not be rosy with with this group of people. Right. I mean, and it certainly seems that the, the Talons are the um, sort of the dominant religion. Yeah. Or at least of the area. Mm-hmm. But um, we do, and we learn a little bit more about that um, when they, they have are having a festival where um, it's, I guess, traditional for people to dress up as Iconis, which is sort of the the main demon figure of that religion, mm-hmm. run around and make mischief, and then Taylu will come, someone dressed up like Taylu comes along and chases, off the chases demons, them yeah. off, and it's supposed to be great fun. Yeah. Um, oh, great fun. Great. <laughs> And it's during this festival that Quoth um, decides to try for the first time begging on the rich part of town. Yeah, he is he is he is beaten soundly by a guard, mm-hmm. and I think it's just interesting that he was rescued by a devil by by Encanus. Somebody, uh, yes, yeah, someone dresses Encanus Garrick, who is mm-hmm. dressed up as Encanus, and I highlighted his name because I'm going to pay attention to see if that ever comes back. I doubt that it will. Um, yeah, that was a gr- like that was my. That whole chapter was chapter twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Was by far my favorite chapter of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very dark moment, but 
um, it was this juxtaposition for me of this very, you know, it's very obviously like an analog for Christmas, but more like the old school, like Krampus version of Christmas where like, like St. Nick's around, but there's also this demon that'll carry you off, you know? Um, and it's just, it's at night and it's snowing and there's so many ways in which it could be beautiful. You know, it reminds you almost of this, like, you know, it's like, like I can just see the city at night in the rich part of town with people walking, dressed up and having fun and all this. But, but how he experiences it, you know, is like death, you know, and he very nearly dies and very nearly freezes to death in the middle of the street until Garrick, who is dressed up as Incanus, you know, rescues him. But that whole scene to me was was by far my favorite part of it. And to me, what was, you know, the most sad part of the whole thing is um, after he shoves the silver in his hand and gives him gloves and sends him off, um, he goes to an inn and he asks the girls, hey, can I get some food and a blanket? And they come back and they bring him the food and the blanket. And the one girl just breaks down just looking at him and seeing how terrible a shape he he is she just breaks down and loses it and to me that was the part that was the most gut-wrenching after this chapter which was like beautiful and dark and terrible at the same time to see you know he, he was just like i just want some food and a blanket and to get the hell out of here and to see how terrible he was reflected in somebody else who didn't even know him just breaking down and crying and looking at him that to me was the most powerful part of the whole the whole section that was super sad and and the thing that was even sadder for me was um how the girl invites him to come in and sleep by the fire but he hears someone playing a lute and it brings back such painful memories the memory of his family and belonging and it's just a reminder to him of what he's lost and just the hopelessness in that that he won't even come in yeah Mm mm-hmm what I what I appreciate about this and what I found interesting was um, there's definitely a sense of cynicism about religion, you know, coming yeah, out here. Yeah. Um, however, at the same time, we also have it strongly insinuated that Trappist is a former or some version of a Talon priest. Yeah. As well. So it's not just it's not a black and white pure cynicism against religion. Um, it's it's a more nuanced take on it um and yeah and i'm i was gonna bring up and highlight the same thing because because where we go from here is after after that and he gets his food and his wine and he gets back to his little uh hidey hole above the tannery you know he eats but the next morning he wakes up wakes up wakes up he wakes up with a terrible fever and finds his way somehow to trappist who ends up taking care of him you know, and then Trappist goes through and tells that whole story about Telu and Menda, um, Telu Imperial. And uh, my notes that I write down here are Telu is kind of a dick. <laughs> Menda equals Jesus equals Telu, mm-hmm. you know, and then Incanus equals Satan. Um, but he tells the whole kind of origin story mm-hmm. of um, Incanus and Telu and what that's all about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is very clearly a you know judeo-christian kind of analog like Mm -hmm. very clearly but um but yeah you're right it's treated pretty you know not west you know telu is not kind of the forgiving graceful god um that you would find in like the christian new testament he's he's a draw a line in the sand smack you with a hammer Mm -hmm. like you know very unforgiving sort of thing Mm -hmm. um so it was it was definitely interesting to read, but then, like you said, it's it's being told by Trappist, who is like the only person with any degree of sympathy mm-hmm. that we that we really meet. I mean, not the only people. There are people who helped helped him out uh, when he was lost in Hillside, but um, but really, just one of the few genuinely good characters. And like you said, it's insinuated that he's a Talon priest. Mm-hmm. Um, not clear, but. But he that it's thought that he is or was once one or something of that nature. So, no, I agree with you. Well handled in that regard. Right. 
And and then we have this little, uh, another really heartbreaking chapter. And thankfully, it seems to come at sort of the bottom of the story. Because mm-hmm. after this, I, I think we reach a turning point. But it's a very short chapter where Quoth is on the roof. And he hears a young boy down on the oh, street God. being attacked. Wasn't that awful? That's, yeah. That was awful. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, that yeah. was awful. And he, he makes the decision not to intervene when he hears a small boy yeah. being attacked. And it's... It's formative, and I, it seems to be sort of a, a mental and spiritual and emotional bottom for him. Yeah, I think he would say that was his bottom. Well, and I think he does outright, because I believe later he tells Bast, you know, talks about how yeah. he can't remember how many times he's been beaten but himself, he remembers that. Yeah. but he can remember that. Yeah. And there's a line, uh, bones mend, but... What Regret is it? lasts forever. Regret stays forever. Yeah, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was very. I think that was really important. Yeah, I highlighted that in my book. Now I, I do want to take a, a little step back though, mm-hmm. um, because in the story that Trappist tells at the end, um, Telu dies when he's destroying Encanus, but he says that he can be called again. Right. We're going to read a story later where Telu comes up again, and it's not clear. If this, it just seems like this is after the fact, but it's right. not. It's not really clear. But that's one of those things that I feel like that's not put there for no reason. So you know what? That's a really good point. I never actually thought of it that way. So I feel like that's going to come around somehow. It's so interesting for me reading this book because there's these. The human story is so strong. Yeah. And I get drawn into that. And then the, the sort of supernatural stories almost seem like separate. Like it's it's hard to describe. I mean, no, I, yeah. I, they, they're, they're tied together, but I just forget that I'm reading a fantasy story sometimes. So, yeah. Um, no, and clearly these stories, I mean, you know, we're what, 100, almost 200 pages into this mm-hmm. book or something. And. There's been several, you know, tellings of stories, and they all have a certain degree of importance. So when I, when somebody's telling a story, that I, I'm like, okay, there's, there's hints in here, or clues, whether it's hints about what's going to happen in the plot or thematic hints. There's definitely hints in here, but I feel like so. My prediction number one: Taylor's coming back. <laughs> He's probably gonna smack some bitches with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's very astute. I never um, did not pick up on that. And then the next thing I want to, um, I thought was interesting, and this is just complete random aside, but he talks about dinner resin and the sweet eaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I wrote sweet eater equals meth head. So that's right. That's obviously the the drug of whatever drug yeah. of mm. most predominant drug of the culture. Yeah. So. So then we have that little interlude where we kind of come back to the present time, um, and you know, and that's where we're talking about where he he tells Bast, you know, bones men, but mm-hmm. regret lasts forever. Um, and then we kind of get back into what's kind of the third act of this right. of this section. And, and in that interlude, I also think it's important to point out that he addresses some questions that from an outsider's perspective you might be like good point yeah you know and and yes you can go with okay his 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 mental state you know but he actually directly addresses why didn't he go find ben yeah yeah. why did he stay why didn't he you know Mm -hmm. and um because it's a good point a reader at this point might be thinking just go right you were able to survive in the woods before right just leave why don't you leave right But he says this, he says this in chapter 25, but we are all creatures of habit. It is far too easy to stay in the familiar ruts we dig for ourselves. Perhaps I even viewed it as fair. My punishment for not being there to help when the Chandrian came. My punishment for not dying when I should have with the rest of my family. You know, and just kind of puts it right out there. Yeah, Um, survivor's guilt, you know, but but on top of some very real practical concerns. You know, how is a, at the time, probably 14-year-old, with no means going to try to find this city that's hundreds and hundreds of miles away mm-hmm. in the wintertime, you know, because yep. not long after he gets there and really, you know, for the worst part of it is during wintertime. Right. You know, and he wasn't going to survive that. There's no way, you know, he wouldn't survive. Um, and when we get a little bit later on, you know, he's been in Tarbian 
See, I said it right. Um, he's been in Tarbian um, for almost three years, and he's managed to collect like 27 pennies. Right. And it's a fortune to mm-hmm. him, you know? Like, so, <laughs> you know, the idea that he's going to like equip himself for a winter expedition is just. Well, yeah. He's going to go in the, the player's I... handbook and buy some tall, tall boots and some torches and some rations and, you know, and he's going <laughs> to. Right, and at this point, he is—he's at a point where he's not happy, but he's a little more comfortable. Yeah, you know, he's not starving. And um, and, and I just think this, this whole idea of being a creature of habit and being in your familiar unhappy rut—I think that comes back, and I think mm-hmm. it applies to both as coat, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and um as well because he's sort of in the same situation he's yeah. stuck in a place where he's not happy he's dwindling he's fading away yep. but there's nothing to jolt him out of it and so we Is see my microphone working um i don't know that would be bad you go on that would be bad oh is mine's working i think it's just we're um you talk no you talk no, you talk. No, you talk. <laughs> I think we're good. <laughs> it's just not scanning along with us, so we're not seeing the the waves. So that's all. So technical aside, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. From the top. Take it from the top. Five. Four. four. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. So, oh, are we talking about dissociative fugues again? Yes, we're gonna have to say though. <laughs> I got to remember every joke, every half-hearted joke. Damn it! <laughs> no, we're not. We're not gonna do that. It'll require way too much damn editing. I do not edit. Oh, uh, we were talking about there's 27 pennies being a fortune. Oh, we and right. all the reasons why he wasn't gonna right what being he being leave. stuck yeah. in a rut and yeah. how you know. Um, and what I find interesting about that is how um, then we see. The thing that wakes him up, yeah, when he is in Tarbian, yeah. um, as Quoth, um, and I, I just think there's a parallel between his self um, when he was in Tarbian and um, his his person, his character as Coat, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, kind of putting part of himself aside in order to not deal with a painful memory of some sort. Some kind of painful, you know, he's sort of come back to that place. Yeah, and that's hinted at in the very, very beginning Mm -hmm. when we first meet Chronicler. Mm -hmm. And Chronicler's trying to bring things back to him. Mm -hmm. And he's just not having any of Mm -hmm. it, you know. Um, So, no, I think that's a good observation. I, I saw it more as simply him not really wanting to kind of awaken those memories and 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 go back and have to deal with kind of what he what he what he dealt with rather than it being more of a rut but i think but i think you with the advantage of having gone through this i think that's a good observation well th- i think that 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 passage i read that just really stuck out to me this time mm-hmm. i was like okay so here now here look at here's quoth in tarbian mm-hmm. he can do sympathy yeah. okay <laughs> he he like <laughs> why doesn't he even try to do that to better his situation he yeah, right. he has yeah. he's a prodigy he's incredibly gifted individual yeah and he doesn't use or access any of those things no he yeah he he's, could i mean so you know i went through this whole time being like because when he went to the inn mm-hmm. and there was the loot player i was like ah he's gonna step in there and play the loot and everyone's gonna be amazed mm-hmm. and no that's not what happens, right. you know. And with all the stories that he knows and all the songs that he knows, he could find a way. Mm-hmm. And then, to be honest with you, I completely forgot about the fact that he knows magic. Right. Because <laughs> like, right? I'm so in that state with him of right. just being, like, just broken down, you know. But, yeah, for, for Christ's sake, the, the child can, like, light f- torches without, mm-hmm. he's like... He could put on a magic show if he wanted. Like, there's so many things he could do and, and to get himself out of that situation, but he doesn't. And, and that's where I think that this story, you know, as really sets itself apart from a lot in the fantasy genre, because in a in a more plot driven book, mm-hmm. he would have done that. Yeah, you're right. Um, but it's and that's what makes this character feel so real. 
you know, because mm. a child who just witnessed the brutal murder of his entire family and lived homeless in the woods yeah. for two months wouldn't do that. He's not just going to get on with it. He would react that yeah, way. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, and just the way that he digs into the psychological damage and what that does to a person. Yeah, yeah. Really, like you said, takes you there. Yeah. It makes it so much more real. It makes mm-hmm. Quoth real as a person. And that's what, like, just sucks me into this this book and this author's writing. Yeah, know? as awful as these chapters were, um, I mean, they really do build that character up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I told you in one of the earlier episodes, or might have been when we were just talking, that one of my fears about this, when I the little tiny bits I'd heard, was that Quoth was just going to be this very Mary Sue kind of bard. Gary Stu. Gary, he has a very Gary Stu <laughs> kind of bard. And uh, that is clearly not what we're dealing with, mm-hmm. you know. And I appreciate that. Right. I appreciate that. So so then we get to, to witness, okay, what what happens to Quoth? What, yeah. what gets him out of the rut? What wakes him up? Yeah, there's one thing I want to, before we get into talking about Scarpy, there's one thing I want to highlight. And that story about when he finds Pike. Right. You know, so I talked about earlier, one of my notes said, Taylor's kind of a dick. And in this chapter, my notes say, Quoth is kind of a dick. Like, he's a vengeful prick, you know? And not that Pike wasn't an awful, awful human being, but he burned him with lie. Yeah, that was kind of a dick move. I mean, <laughs> really, you know. And I'm not saying that. Um, I'm not saying that most other 15 year olds in that situation wouldn't have done the same thing. I don't. I don't know. But I think you just you again. You see a little bit of a of a part of his character that like vengeance is a part of what he what makes his motor tick. I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think it's important to remember, too, though, that the, the burning happened. Um, that was not the vengeance part. I don't think that was Good. motivated by vengeance. He went and burned Pike's possessions. Yeah. That was motivated out of, ven- out of vengeance. True, true. And the, the, burn, the, the dumping the chemicals on him happened. Uh, that was more out of preservation because yeah, the- he got caught. I think that if he had not been caught doing that... And Pike had not vowed to kill him. And he yeah. knew that Pike was going to hunt him down and kill him. Yeah, good point. He had to make some kind of move that would keep him off. And yeah. and that was what established, he said, like a truce between the two of them. Yeah. That they wouldn't go into in each other's parts of town. I think yeah. otherwise he would have been found and killed for sure. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I, I definitely, the vengeance streak is definitely a part of his character for sure. Yeah. And, and it shows that he can be real brutal. Absolutely. Right? I mean, he's he's definitely a survivor. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the loss of his father's loot, I think you can't understate no. how devastating that was. Absolutely not. I think that was um, the last vestige of his old life yeah. and his old self. And I think when he lost that loot, you know, we talk about fracturing personality mm-hmm. and putting a part of a character putting a part of himself away and i think when he lost that loot he kind of lost that part of himself and his childhood well i definitely you know? think it added to the further fracturing and i think it made this whole thing in tarbian last a lot longer than mm-hmm. it would have otherwise because at the end of his stay in the woods you know he was starting to think about and spend a little bit of time reminiscing in some of the parts of his childhood. Yes, that's a good point. And then that loot got smashed and we end up with three years of just hell mm-hmm. a- as a result. And and he doesn't he doesn't go back to that place until Scarpy. Until Scarpy. Yeah. Until he hears about Lonray. Yeah. Yeah. And here's that story. And then we get back a little bit into the supernatural part of the Yeah, we find an, another story. storyteller laying another part of kind of the mythos and building some of that backstory. And he, he asks, he goes in and he asks for a story about Lanray. And I don't remember if he, like, we know after hearing that story that Lanray is Haliax. And Haliax is 
the guy who was in shadow, who was kind of the ringleader of killing his parents. Right. You know, and I don't know if he knew going in there that that was who Lan Ray was. No, he did not. Yeah. And only because I, I just kind of reread this pretty recently, but he did know that his father was writing a song about Lan Ray. And that was the last big yeah. project that his father he was, was doing. On, yeah. And so he wanted to hear the, the story. Re- as much of the story as, as, much he, of could the story as yeah. he could. Just just as a way of getting close, being closer to his father. Yeah. And then when Scarpy lays it out that Oh hey, Lan Ray is actually Haliax. Yeah. And um yeah. and I, I liked too and I thought it made it very real that he doesn't connect it right away. Um, he leaves, something's niggling at him, and he says he even says, you know, it might seem very clear to you having the story all laid out the way I did yeah, yeah. that oh of course, but it took him a little bit of time before yeah. he realized And it was at night he was watching a tail and priest walk down the road. Right. And his cow was all dark, and that's when it kind of clicked for him. Yep. Um, what I thought was interesting was that if you look at the story of Lanray and Lyra and how Lanray goes from being this hero who, you know, was, you know, this massive, massive force for good and protecting all these cities and these people, um, and then in his grief— over losing Lyra, he's driven into madness, and it's that madness that causes him to become this incredible villain. Um, and obviously, there's a close parallel to Quoth in his grief, you know. But he and he talks even in the beginning of the section about again the four doors, one of them being madness, you know. So I think there's a real parallel there. And I don't even know that Quoth at this point gets that, you know, the state that he's in caused by Haliax is the same state that caused Haliax to go from hero to supervillain. That's a very good observation. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I do stuff every once in a while. You do stuff sometimes. It's true. The other thing I remember picking up on, um, you know, there's a lot of talking about Salitos. I'm sorry, I should... I think it's Salitos or Salitos. Uh, I'm going to say Salitos, but if you have a YouTube thing that you've seen... that t- I haven't, but okay. it, maybe you should say Salitos and I'll say Salitos, and then one of us one is right. One of us will be right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So he goes back um, to see Scarpy again, and he comes in kind of in the middle of the story, and it's once again about Salitos. Seems like it's kind of the next chapter. It just sounds like a, it just sounds like a snack food. Come here and have a delicious barbecue-flavored Salitos. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're French onion. (laughs) I mean, don't be bringing that weak-ass barbecue stuff around me. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll take a bag of corn nuts, some (laughs) bubble gum, Diet Coke, and a give me one of this pack of uh, barbecue Salitos. (laughs) Um, so he comes back into that story. Um, and it seems like it's it's kind of going on. One of the things I, I liked is they talk about the Amir here, or the Amir. I'm gonna I think say it's, the, yeah, Amir. I think, yeah, I'm going to say Amir, yeah. Um, and how they are invisible to all but the most powerful. Um, and, you know, that ties us back to the scene where Haliax runs and here they come. You know, and I'm thinking, here who come? You know, and in my mind, you know, you you know you're not going to have all the answers to that, so you're like, you roll with it. But n- even now, there's a little bit of a kind of laying of the groundwork to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense, that they would say, here they come, and then you would never see anything. He's already kind of laying the foundation for that. Yeah, absolutely. So so that was good to get a little bit of mm-hmm. an answer to that. Um, and I did not pick up on that on the first reading. I had to go when mm-hmm. it was the second reading that I picked up on that. But then the um, the Talons come in um, and decide to haul Scarpy off for his um, his blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, we learn that the Talons are dicks. Some of them are. Some of them are. Well, so far, all the ones that are confirmed are dicks. Yeah. The only one we think might be uh, a Talon or an ex-Talon is Trappist, and we don't even know that for certain. I like to think he is. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I'll go with it. I'm going to go with it. I, I, I don't like it when in a, in a book there's an entire group that's just all black hats. Yeah, that's... You yeah. know? And that doesn't really roll with how this story's gone so far. No, it doesn't. You and know? it is one of those things in fantasy that I agree with, with you is it, it is a, a, a trope that uh, weakens the genre overall. So when, when we, we have a group and they're all you know, acting like these tail and knuckleheads, I agree with you. I think that weakens the story. So um, it reminds me of something from uh, the Wheel of Time, um, but we will cover that at another time. Now I want to hear what is it. Oh, the um, I can't think of who they the name of them. The white cloaks or not the white cloaks. The um, yeah, yeah, the white cloaks. Okay, yeah, the white mm-hmm. cloaks. Like, there's not a one of them that isn't just a bastard. Yeah, I mean maybe Galad, but you're right. We don't we don't need to go down that. Yeah, yeah. Ra- we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But even he um, is. I mean, he's held off as kind of an exception. Right. From the very beginning. And every right. single other one we meet is just... And, uh, yeah. Uh, and you haven't finished the series yet, so... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll handle one at a time. <laughs> but let's talk about Chapter 29, because that one's... This is this is kind of a turning point. This is where... This yeah, is short, kind of exciting. Yeah, you know? short chapter, but, but a powerful one from an emotional standpoint, where it's, you know, it's the first time since we've been kind of back in the woods playing the lute where he's like he wants to to open up and look back at his past and remember some of the good things and, and as well as some of the dark things and he's kind of wake waking up memories i just wrote down memories and tears memories and tears right you know because that's kind of what's going on there um you know but then he takes stock of kind of what he has and he starts to come up with a plan once again the plan is motivated by vengeance because or at least partly motivated by vengeance because he says, you know, I'm a child. I, I'm a child of practicality, having grown up in, in Tarbian. I know I'm not going to be able to go defeat the Chandrian, but perhaps I can find their enemies, the Aimer, the Singers, you know, and figure out who they are. And where is he going to find that at? But at, strongly hinted, at the university. The university. The university. Dun, dun, dun. The university. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, at a... Also, I think for the first time, he says he does one of the mental exercises that Ben had yeah, given him yeah, about yeah. his mind waking up. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm very interested in how he describes his mental state and the whole cognitive process of dealing with grief and how mm-hmm. um, his mind wakes up and all of a sudden things start kind of clicking for him again. Yeah. And it starts makes- going, oh, OK, maybe I can I can get out of this somehow. Yeah, and it makes me very interested to see how he's going to get out of it. And I'm sure we'll find that out in the next uh, block of chapters, but how he's going to manage to get out of that. You know, because we talked about all the things he could potentially do mm-hmm. to get out of it. I'm hoping it ties into the loot somehow right? and his, and his musical ability. But um, but it doesn't really matter. There's a, There's so many different things this kid's, you know, you know, he's a genius. He could... He could go out and diagnose people's medical ailments. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, but I'm very interested in how he works his way from 27, you know, 27 pennies to making it to the university. We don't even know where the hell the university is. Right. You know? Well, I'm I'm really excited for you to find out. Not going to lie. It's pretty good. Good. I'm, I'm excited. I'm pretty excited. Too. So what were your impressions of this? this last section that you kind of read? What are your impressions of the book so far? Um, well, I like things. Um, I like beautiful prose telling me horrible things. Right. So, uh. so I was a fan. <laughs> there you go. That's you know? exactly what this was. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it was it was horrible. It was very sad. Um, not not something that you know I could go through an entire book. Like you know, you got to right. come out of this dark darkness right. some somehow. But but at the same point in time, you got to spend your days in the desert. And right. He certainly has, you know, and and I think it lends some authority and some credibility to whatever's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, whenever he rises to whatever peaks he's going to rise to, you're going to remember him 
you know, laying on that roof, listening mm-hmm. to an eight-year-old boy be whatever was mm-hmm. happening to the eight-year-old boy. You're going to remember him nearly dying on Christmas Eve, you know. Well, and I think, you know, and you mentioned some some criticisms of the book is that that Quoth is a Gary Stew or he, you know, he's ends up kind of being the, the best at everything and everything. But mm-hmm. for me, parts of the story like this temper that and make it not make him a real character. Yeah, and, and just know? to clarify, I, I would say that was more of a fear I had going into the book than, than an actual criticism. Well, no, I, and I don't think that that criticism was coming from you. That's mm. a criticism that has been put out there by oh, others. Okay. Gotcha. And okay. I think probably you, I had mentioned it to you. Oh, okay, maybe. Because I would talk about this book to you before you read it. And you had said you would never read it, or you would not read it until the third book was out. And somehow, and here somehow we are. Somehow, here we are. Because somehow you here we love are. me. And based on what I've heard, I'm not sure that this was a wise decision. Now, come on. <laughs> come on. We're, we're just gonna. We're just not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to go there eventually. We are keeping the faith. It's okay. You know what? After Wheel of Time, like, I'm... I'm I'm not worried about any book series. At least that, that one's written. You know. it, had, well, it was written brilliantly. Brandon Sanderson did a fantastic job. It was written in a very satisfying way, and I, I couldn't have been happier. So, don't even worry about it. Yeah. So now, now you, now you got me into two series that don't have an ending. <laughs> and I said years ago I would never read another fantasy series that wasn't completely written. But uh, here I am. <laughs> Here I am. Uh, um, so let's let's move on. Um, so yeah, these were good sections. I'm excited to hear you know what what happens next. You want to ask me my predictions? Yes. Taylor's coming back, baby. Okay. And Salitos, Celito. Salitos. Salitos. But that sounds like like a medical condition. I was just gonna say a medical condition. Stop. It does sound like a medical. <laughs> condition so there's what is it patrick rothfuss how do you say it? is there an is there an appealing way to say that name salitos 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 no salitos all right we're salitos no no. (laughs) there's just there's i've said it too many times it doesn't even sound like a word exactly it's no longer sounds like a word (laughs) aeroplane if you say it enough times it loses all meaning um so he is gonna come back he is not dead or maybe might be dead but somehow somehow i feel like a lot of these heroes that we're talking about are gonna are gonna play an active role in this story Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know how but Talo and tilu or whatever and Celitos are around i mean that doesn't take a real you know rocket scientist to figure that out if haleax Mm -hmm. is still around then you know it would stand a reason that the counterparts would still be around, but that's that's my prediction. Um, and then I really want to see his loot playing somehow be a way of getting him out of this situation and getting him to the university. I'm hoping that happens, but you know that's one of so many ways that he could get out of it. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be disappointed if that's mm-hmm. not the way that he gets out, but that's my hope. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah. 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 So, anything else before we move on to kind of our last little? I don't think so. Things that we talk about. Okay. So, one of one of the things we've been talking about or we've had are the um, fandom news, you know, and little bits of uh, things that we've heard on the interwebs about what's going on. So. So we we did read one article where Patrick Rothfuss says that the writing on the third book is not going very well. And that makes me sad. I'm sorry. But I'll be honest with you. I would rather get a good book oh, than yeah. a rushed book. So I'll that's agree. just my feeling on it. No, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know the one fandom that um, you know I'm a huge, hugely involved in is Lord um, Song of Ice and Fire and uh, George R. R. Martin, and a lot of people are just giving him so much grief um, about that. But I agree with you about 
about all these. I would much rather have a book that is going to to really resonate and last with us through time than a book now mm-hmm. that is mediocre. It yeah. doesn't have a satisfying end. So I'm com- I'm completely in agreement with you. Um, the thing about um, Patrick Rothfuss is the nice thing is that Patrick Rothfuss is still young, so we shouldn't have to worry about him actually finishing the series. You know, it might take a while, but shouldn't have to worry about him finishing the series. He'll finish it. What's that? He'll finish it. I'm confident that he will. Confident that he will. I, I be to be honest with you. I can't imagine how an author couldn't get to the end of something like this and not struggle. Like, right. I mean, and we've talked about this before, not on the podcast, but just in our kitchen about how he has set this up to be only a trilogy. Yeah. You know, the way he has it, um, you know, book one is day one of him telling the story. Book yeah. two is day two of him telling the story. It's very tidy. It's I, I love it. It's a very satisfying round way of doing it but he has definitely gotten himself into there's no like oh i think i need another book to finish it let's just stretch it into part one and two like no he can't he can't do that um so he's i'm sure that ups the stakes and that makes it more more difficult yeah i'm sure Um, it does yeah so yeah he's he's put himself in quite a pickle you know but but based on what we've seen so far we have confidence right and it's it's just Again, it comes back to like this this very human story of a person, and then you've got these sort of high epic, sort of mythical mm. stories uh, around the Chandrian and the Amir, and yeah. and how like book three is probably where that's all gonna come to a head. Yeah. So how do you do that in a way that's real and satisfying? Yeah. You know, and how do you honor like the humanity of these characters, but still? have it be an epic fantasy yeah you know because for me and and that's why it's it's interesting and and i i like the juxtaposition of the sort of high epic fantasy story um lanre and lyra and all that and that all feels very tolkien that feels very lord of the rings and then it's kind of being told to characters in this story but it also actually happened so yeah um how do you put all that together to make a satisfying ending yeah i don't know and neither does patrick rothfuss at this point <laughs> <laughs> You're right. i'm sure he has some good ideas i'm sure he does um he did uh make a a board game recently yeah called tack which is oh, it, yeah. in the book but you have not gotten to that part yet but they he learned they there's a game called tack oh, good yeah it's the beautiful game I know he's a friend with he's friends with the guy the guy who did um, Cards Against Humanity. I did not know that. Yeah, they got a podcast together. Like, like a stalker or something. I don't know what you're talking about. You back off. <laughs> um, do we have any? We don't have any news about the TV show or anything like that, do we? Oh, I think that's way out. I think so. Honestly, too, yeah. I think we'll be done this podcast before it's out. We're never going to be done with this podcast. I mean this. Part of the podcast. We will be doing this. This when we podcast retire. is keeping our family together, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we will be doing this from the back of the RV when we after the kids move out and we're traveling the country. I didn't tell you that's what's going to happen yet. I'm I? driving. Oh, that's fair. No, no. What? Okay. Yeah, you are. You're driving. You're definitely driving. <laughs> All right. Um, so I know we're both tired, and I have to get up way early in the morning. Um, so. Don't forget to give us a review on iTunes uh, and then Stitcher, Spreaker, Overcast, or whatever other podcast things we come up with. We're not technically going to Who knows what the technology will be when we actually release this. Right? Exactly. They could have neural implants that allow you to connect right to the internet. So blink twice to like (laughs) us on. To leave us a review. (laughs) (laughs) Five stars. Five blinks. Um, (laughs) So you can find us at thedukeanduchesspodcast.com. Uh, on Facebook at The Duke and Duchess, and on Twitter at The D&D Podcast. That's D-N-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, The D&D Podcast. Um, give us a review. Come check us out. Send us an e- send us emails. You know, interact with us. Um, we would love to start making this more of a community thing, um, and when we finally get it out on the Internet, we'll give people an opportunity to actually do that. Um, I have two friends that are going to listen. 
I've already told them. Sweet. Right. So that's. Hi, Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Abby. Hey, guys. <laughs> um, so that's two. That's two then. We have two. <laughs> I was going to say I have. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Good night, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>